right, Mark chapter 14, we're down now to verse 53 as we're moving along here. Mark 14 and verse 53. And uh, again, we kind of got into this a little time, a little bit last time, not too much though. Uh, verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself in the fire. And, and again here as... Mark is, here's just the details, just the facts, and there's a couple things here in verse 53 and 54 that are going to lay out now the rest of the chapter, um, leading to chapter 15 where he is taken into uh, Pilate. Verse 53 is the issue of they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. So the first thing here is that they are waiting for him. They sent the arrest party uh, to to get him. They've got him. Now they're bringing him back. They're waiting on it. So this is a prearranged deal. This isn't going to be a trial to hold of a finding of fact. This is we're killing you and we got to justify our actions. Okay. And then in verse 54, the second part of the, the rest of the chapter is going to be about Peter. And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. So now we have Peter. And Peter here, uh, the covering Peter is going to start down in verse 66, down to 72. And we'll do that where he's going to deny the, the Lord and so forth. And here, verse 55 to 65, we're going to cover the trial uh, this evening. And then we just kind of get introduced to Peter in verse 54. We'll pick up with him down in verse 66. Again, Mark is going to just the facts. We, we, there's no flatteries. There's no big talk. There's not a lot of detail. I mean, there's not a lot of extra detail and he's just what he's doing now is he's setting the contrast between the faithful witness that Christ is going to have in front of his accusers and then the unfaithful disciple who's outside who's outside and when asked for a testimony he denies him he he abandons the situation so the contrast is going to be faithful savior unfaithful dis, uh, disciple. And again, with Peter, you got to remember, he loved the Lord. Get, you know, he's ready. He just in the garden, he took the sword out, ready to defend. And he's not, this isn't a cowardice thing. That's what Peter gets labeled here, is he's warming by the himself at the, at the devil's fire and all that nonsense. And that's not the case at all. And rather, if you'll notice, he's following from afar. And he literally, we'll see, is going to follow the Lord all the way to the end. He isn't going to go in, and John's going to send one of the servant ladies to go get him, and he just denies the Lord and doesn't come in. But he, he's, he's not coward here. He's actually very self-confident. And he's confident that no one was going to touch the Lord. So when the Lord willingly gave up, <laughs> willingly chose to surrender without a fight, that messed with Peter's thinking. That messed with his mind. And really, I mean, it just it brought in confusion. It brought in disheartenment. Disheart, he was disheartened. He was uh, disillusioned. He was just like, I can't believe you gave up. And yet, what we're going to see when we get into Peter is really his failure is one of not realizing the weakness of his own flesh. And the fight that he had inside of him was him relying on himself. And when he said, I'll let no one take you, and yet what happened? He was taken. So he had, Peter had to learn to not have confidence in his own flesh and rather to have confidence in the Word of God, the Word of Christ. 
So he had to go through, really, if you think about it, a horrible situation to realize that as he watched his Messiah be crucified. And he does it, again, not right up close. John, on, on the cross, you see John, you see the Marys there, and so forth, but you don't see anybody else around. And again, Peter, he weeps bitterly. We'll, we'll see there at the end of verse 72. And when he thought thereon, he wept. I mean, just a tender moment. So don't let people say, well, Peter was just a coward. No, he wasn't a coward at all. He was just having confidence in his own abilities rather than in confidence in the Word of God. So verse 53, we first, we're going to deal with Christ and uh, before the council and so forth. Verse 53, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and elders and the scribes. Verse 55, And of the chief priests and all the council sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. And they're looking for witnesses, and they found none. So they're looking for someone to speak up. And again, they are not searching for the truth. They're not looking for it. They, they've already made up their minds that they're going to kill him. Now we just have to, we just, now we just got to have a little trial and we got, we got to get a little couple witnesses so that will justify us killing them. Nothing about looking for the truth. Nothing at all. So they're looking, verse 55, for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found none. So what we're going to see here and what Mark's going to lay out with the trial issue here, first, they're trying to get some witnesses, and by the way, they blow it. Then they make an accusation directly asking Christ, are you the Messiah? He answers them. And then they revile him. They beat him. They, they're going to spit on him. They're going to beat on him and so forth. So we'll see a progression here of what religion is really all about. And literally what we're going to see here as we go through this is here is that apostate religious system in Israel functioning and operating at full speed. And when you back up and you look at what, how religion behaves when it comes to the truth, what do they do? They attack, attack, attack. So come back with me to Deuteronomy. This trial is completely and totally illegitimate. Get Deuteronomy 17. And, and again, they're going to, they have already made up their mind. So this is illegitimate. It's not a fact-finding case. It's not something that's going to be done um, straightway in a line with Israel's governing laws and so forth. By the way, there in 1456, he says, For many bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. <laughs> they still, even though when they find two guys, they still don't agree. And yet, what do they do? They, they actually, the two guys are going to, they're going to be in contradiction to what the Lord actually said. But so, what does Israel do? The religious leaders do. They press forward. Now, Deuteronomy 17, and we need Deuteronomy 19, but we'll start in verse 17, in chapter 17. Israel has a straightforward judicial system, and the way that these things are to be handled, verse 4, Deuteronomy 17, 4. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel. So we've got a situation, you've heard it, you've looked into it, you don't believe the rumor, you don't believe the fake news, you don't believe the news, period, fake or not, you don't believe the news, you've investigated it, you've diligently inquired, see, all right? You're absolute certain that the situation is as it is. Now look at verse 6. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. 
So what's the criteria? You got to have two, three's better. Independent witnesses. And so the criteria to, to, to produce the certainty of the matter, you got to have two or three witnesses independent of each other, and they're going to say what? The same thing. And it's not, hey, you know, Paul and I over here, we work our story out, and then they bring Bruce in, and he's got a little bit different. It isn't that at all. It's we all three are saying the same thing. Now, we're all going to say it different, but what's the conclusion? Same thing. That's, so, again, Israel is very straightforward. If you don't have two or three witnesses, he's not guilty. That's why one witness, the guy's not going to be put to death. Now, we'll, there's other penalties and whatnot, depending on what it is. But look at chapter 19. In verse 15. So you got to have two or three witnesses. That's why they're looking for them. 19.15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So there again, what do we need? Two or three witnesses. Verse 16, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if a witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him, that's the false witness, as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt you put the evil away from among you. So notice, if the false witness shows up, and, and he's, this, is the, this is where the, uh, the right to face your accuser comes from in our legal system comes from this passage right here, okay? So if a false witness comes up and it's just him, guess what? Whatever was going to happen to me is going to happen to him for bearing the false witness. You know what that'll do? That shuts the false witness stuff down really quickly. So the way that you stand, now notice in verse 17, there shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges, which shall be in those days. So the way that you stand before the Lord is to stand before the priest and the judges. All right? Now, the priest, that's the religious leaders, but the judges are the, are the civil leaders' authority. They're, the they're over the courtroom. They're over the trial. Now, look at verse 18. And the who? The judges shall make diligent inquisition. Isn't that interesting? Who's the one running the trial? The judges. Back in Mark 14, there are no judges. You know who it is? It's the chief priest and the elders and some other guys. So right off the bat, it's illegitimate. Why? Because the guy that's supposed to be there to make the ruling, the finder of fact, isn't there. You got a whole, you got a problem. The, 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 they didn't do, <laughs> they didn't do the, the, the sanction here, by the way, placed on the false witnesses. That would have shut them down. They didn't do that. They gave them immunity. You just come and testify. And by the way, you read card A and then you read card B. And they didn't do that, but that's, they gave them that ability but the point is, is the religious leaders, the priests, were not the ones to make the inquiry. The civil authority was to make that inquiry. So when you come back to Mark 16, chief priests and elders and the scribes, they're the ones doing this. No civil authority, only the religious leaders are, are handling. So the trial immediately is outside of the boundary of what God's Word says. And the reason for that is, is they never intended to obey God's word. They, were, they got their own agenda, their own thing. And again, that's what religion is all about. 
they are looking for, we need a justification before the people out there to kill him, so we got to have at least two witnesses, and we're going to judge them up. Also, by the way, this is happening at night. No trial in Israel is to be at night. It's always to be during the daylight so that the peers, the population can come and watch and be a witness to it. There, again, illegal deal here. Come over to John 16. So this is an illegal trial. It's man's wickedness and Satan's power behind that wickedness on display. And literally what we're going to see here is we're going to see the satanic policy of evil working through that vain religious system that's got Israel held captive, apostate, and it's going to be on full bore. Uh, John 16. In the upper room, the Lord has already warned them about this. And he's already talked to them. He's already got it flowing through them. And he said, 16.1. And so, (laughs) 16.1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. So what things? Go back up into 15, start in verse 18. Because these things, the context is verse 18 to 27-ish, 25. Verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. That's true all the time, even today for us. That's why on the overhead on Sunday, I have that outreach statement about your job is just to give the gospel. Don't worry about the result. Your, your job is to give. Why? Because if you can get that gospel out fast and, you know, before they turn on you, that's your job. Let the word work. Let the word do its job. You do your, and that's giving it. Why? Because they're going to hate you. When you tell somebody they're a sinner lost and on their way to hell, it isn't going to be cupcakes and party time. It's, you know, the, the, the spiritual battle is on. Anyway, keep reading. Verse 19. If ye, and, and again, the ye here is the 12 apostles or 11 apostles because uh, Judas is gone. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because he, ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they knew not him that sent me. Very clear. They're gonna, they hated me. They're going to hate you too because you're standing for me. Now watch verse 22, because here's the why they hate him. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, Psalm 69. They hated me without a cause. Notice what the Lord just said there. Again, he's talking to the apostle. Here's the religious crowd. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to face them. We're going to go out of here. We're going to go in the garden. They're going to come and get me. I'm going to face them. And what you guys need to know is they hate me so much that they're going to go kill me. But they hated me and the Father, and the reason is because I taught them the truth. And what the truth did was it exposed their sin. And guess what? They don't like that. Don't expose. And again, that's why if, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, They had not had sin. I came, I preached the truth to them, I gave them the truth, I exposed their hypocrisy, I exposed their apostate, and you know what the result was? They hate my guts. They hated me without a cause. So now 16.1, 
these things, okay, all of that, have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. They're going to kill you too, and they think they're serving God. They're going to go kill me, and they think they're serving God. Just complete and utterly destructive. And that's the thing, of, that's their thinking here. If you come over to Romans 9, I, I, I often think of this verse. Look at Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 10, not 9, Romans 10 and verse 3. For they, and this is Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What are they doing? They're establishing their own righteousness. And by that very fact, what's happening? They're over here killing the Messiah, thinking they're doing God's service. They're completely in apostasy. And the Lord looks at those 11 and says, they're going to come for you too. Don't be offended. You're gonna, it's going to happen. So pay attention to what's coming on. So go back to Mark 14. So in Mark 14, when this begins to happen, verse 55, and the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found none. <laughs> They, they found some that tried to witness. And he, one guy would say one thing, and the other guy would say another, and they couldn't get them to agree. Again, verse 56, for many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. See, they would say, yeah, I saw him do this, and then the other guy would say, yeah, but I saw him do that. And they couldn't get two guys to say the same thing at all. There's no agreement on anything. And by the way, even when they had two people say the same thing, they couldn't agree on that. And that's what we're going to see here now. Verse 57, And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now, that's the classic illustration. That's the classic thing that gets brought up. But it, yet it's a fascinating statement here when, when you get into this. Obviously, they've misquoted the, the Lord. Come over to John 2. Let's get the quote. Okay? John chapter 2. Get the quote right. And, and then, they, not only do they misquote him, they completely say things he doesn't say. John chapter 2, he's in the temple. He's cleaned out the money changers. He, he's, this is his first cleaning, cleaning out of the, of the temple. The, the last one at the end of his ministry, he actually cleans out not only the money changers and every, the, the corporate uh, uh, corruption. Um, I just had the word. The commercialism, that's the word. He gets rid of that, but then he all, in his last one, he stops the temple worship completely, shuts it all down. Look, if you will, at verse 16. So after all of that, and said unto them, so the Lord speaks unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of, the house, of thine house hath eaten me up. Now watch, then answered the Jews and said unto him. So the Lord says one thing, the, the disciples remember Psalm 69. The Jews come up and say to him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, and that's the Jews, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. Now, look at what he said. He says to who? The Jews, you're, destroy the temple, and in three days I'm going to rise. He's talking to religious leaders, 
But he doesn't say, I'm going to destroy the temple. Say that. He says, you are destroying the temple. And, and again, in English, the subject is understood to be who? The Jews. You. Say. So when they repeat it at the trial, they say, he said, I'm going to destroy. And he didn't say that. He said who? He said the religious leaders are going to destroy the, the temple. You're destroying it. I'm going to raise it up. So literally, in, in what he's saying here in verse 19 is, I'm the restorer. You guys are the destroyers, and I'm the restorer. You remember in Acts 1, will you again restore the kingdom He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel one day. In Acts 3, there's a restitution of all things. He's going to restore all of that. So Jesus Christ, he comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the restoration of God's plan and purpose in Israel, raise up Israel, get her back into her rightful position to go out and fulfill the plan and purpose of God in the earth. He goes, I'm going to do that. But now look at what he says in verse 20. Then said the Jews, see how they know who he's talking to. They didn't say, no, we, we're not going to destroy it. You are. No, they know he, he pointed to them and said, you, you, you destroy. Say, uh, Forty and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? Boy, that's a job for life in raising that temple. You know, I look at the construction, the road construction guys, and that's a job for life. When I, when I worked in the water truck and I w we were working on the 202 expansion, <laughs> I met some of those union guys, and they literally went job to, from job around the... That was just a job for life, you know? I think about ADOT and those guys at work. That's, that's what... 46 years it took. That's a, that's a career for some. But, verse 21, he spake of the temple of his body. They didn't understand what he was talking about at all. When he said destroy the temple, he was talking about him. You're going to kill me. And then in three days, I'm going to... they thought he's talking about the big building. They don't get what he said at all. So when you come back into Mark 14, again, they've twisted this all around. And it's important to come to Mark 15 before we go back to 14. It's, it's important to catch the statement was really a rebuke of the religious leaders and the fact that they are the ones destroying the temple. And what that's going to do now is it's going to set the religious leaders off. It's, he's, he just punched their buttons. He's getting their goat, as my dad would say when, when, we, would, when we were being raised. Don't let him get your goat. That's what he's doing. Now, look at Mark 15. Look at verse 29. Now, Christ is on the cross, okay? They just put the sign above him, the king of the Jews, verse 26, verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the... See, they still are thinking about it. They're still, it's still, it's stuck in their craw, as, as they would. They're, they're nowhere, they have no idea what he's talking about, and, it's, and, and they're mocking him, and they bring that, that's the issue they bring up. They're wagging their heads, you know, what a shame, what a shame. Now, they were never going to let him off. Anyway, if he had said, yeah, I said that, and sorry, my bad, they were, they were still going to kill him, you see. The crowd around them would have never known about this back in chapter 14, except that the leaders had what? Brought it up. They put it into the mind of the false witnesses. And the issue here. When the Lord spoke it, again in John 2 there, you guys are really the destroyer of the nation, and I'm going to be the one to restore the nation. And that really got them. 
and, it, and they understood it, they, boom, they just, that really just rubbed them the wrong way. Rubbed the cat's fur the wrong way. They just, Arr. So verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. So obviously, that is all just a flat out lie. So the false witnesses are lying. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say, I'm the destroyer. He says, you guys are the destroyer. There was nothing in John 2.19 about made with hands or made without hands. None of that. They've, they've added to this, okay? Now, that shines a light then here on the false witness guys. So come back to Matthew 26, okay? Because in Matthew 26 you see the, these guys show up. And they, they don't even agree on the statement that's being made. Matthew 26, uh, verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. So we're in the same place that we were, are in Mark 14. Verse 60. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came... Yet found they none. At the last came two witnesses. So we've got two witnesses. And said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So one of the so Matthew 26 is statement by witness one. Mark 14 is a statement by witness number two. So witness number one says what? Again, it's not, not what Mark recorded, see. So one of the two says Matthew 26, and then the other guy says Mark 14 because the statements don't say the same thing. And the guy in Mark 26, I mean, here in Matthew 26, he just, he, he got a piece of it. I'm able to, I am able to destroy the temple of God. But that's not what John 2 is. That's not what Mark 14. But the guy in Mark 14, now come back to Mark 14, and notice what this guy did. So they, you got two witnesses, and, and they've been given the cue cards, say this, okay? Don't read the teleprompter, say this, and they can't get them straight. Now, the second guy, Mark 14, look at verse 58 again. Because this statement doesn't say any, you know, okay, doesn't say what Matthew 26, doesn't say what John 2 says, but rather what this guy does is he interprets and puts a meaning on what they say Christ said. And there's something very fascinating about how and what he says here, okay? 58. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. There's number one. And within three days, I will build another, number two, made without hands. Neither the, there's nothing in Matthew 26 or John 2 about made with hands and made without hands. Okay? So the guy interprets and then implants meaning to what Christ said, and that's going to be the ultimate problem here. Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and let's look at the first one where it talks about made with hands. In Deuteronomy 4, in Israel's vocabulary, when, they, when something was made with hands is a reference to idolatry. Okay, and idol worship. Deuteronomy 4, verse 28. And there ye served gods, little g, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Okay, now I just, we're just looking at one. You can run all of them. We'd be here for till next Tuesday. Okay, but... What, that idol, the small g, was made with what? The work of men's hands. So in Israel, when you said made with hands, 
what this guy is saying in Mark 14 is, is that Jesus Christ said that I'm going to destroy this temple, which is an idolatrous temple, which is where nothing but idols are. And that's a true statement, though. Because what had the nation of Israel done to the house of the Father? Made it a den of thieves. See, They've made it into idolatry. They've worked it around and made it an idolatrous situation, a vain religious system. So the reaction to what Christ said is that the accusation of what Christ said was that you guys are a bunch of apostate idol worshipers. When he said that, he said, I'm destroying this temple made with hands. What did that just do to the religious leaders? It put them on the spot because that's exactly who they are, see. Now, you're in Deuteronomy 4. Look over at verse 28. So, in Mark 14, oh, we read that verse, didn't we? Okay, come to Acts 7. That's where we need to go. I'll show you one more here. Acts 7 with Stephen. So in Mark 14, when the guy adds to it, the, the, the real thing that's, that's driving the hatred for the Lord is that they are of their father, the devil, Acts 7. See, their function, their activity is very clearly stated that they are a part of that apostate Baal worship system that has come in under the satanic policy of evil against Israel then it's captured the nation completely. And Christ comes preaching the truth. If, they had not, if I had not preached and done the works, they had not known sin. See? And you know what? They hated him for it because what did he do? He exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed, he exposed their, their apostate. See? So that expression made with hands is idolatry. Now, in Acts 7... This is really what got Stephen in trouble, okay? So here you are, uh, Acts 7, uh, look at 6.15, the end of chapter 6. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So here's the same people a year earlier that just killed the, the Lord. Now they're sitting here looking at Stephen, okay? And Stephen's going to give them a history lesson. And again, Paul does it in Acts 13, Psalm 78, Psalms 106, they do it. There's history, Paul, more in Romans 11. So history lessons here. And what happens is, is in the history lessons that are going to be given, the problem comes up in almost all of those lessons of the connection between the problems in Israel and idolatry. And if you, did, if you weren't here, then this would have been a different record. So what does Stephen do? He starts with the Abrahamic covenant. We're all the children of Abraham, aren't we? Okay, good, great, glad we agree. But do you remember Joseph? What did his brothers do the first time? They, sell, they sold him into slavery. But the second time they see him, what is he? He delivered them. You remember Moses. First time they saw Moses, they rejected him. But the second time, what did Moses do? Delivered them. You see, now, now these guys are getting the point. What did we just do to Christ? We rejected him, and in the second time, what's he going to do? Deliver, restore. See, they're not happy. They're, they're, they're getting antsy in the seat, okay? Now, come down to verse 47. 747. But Solomon built him a house, howbeit the Most High dwell dwelleth not in temples, look, made with hands, as saith the prophet. Ooh. Now they're going to go kill him. 50, uh, 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Solomon's temple up there, had been turned into what? A house, of, a, a den of thieves. And Stephen's calling them on it. Stephen's, hey, you guys, and what are they going to do? They're going to go kill him now. So when you come, uh, again, <laughs> 49, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. 
What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? I mean, that's Stephen. You guys have made him a house made with idolatry. And again, they are just going to... You guys think that building up there is where it's all at, and yet you know what you've done? You've made it into a den of thieves. They understood the accusation that Stephen was making, and they rebelled against it, and they kill him, and that was their undoing. It made them mad, and off they go. Now, come back to Mark 14. So in 58, the first statement of made with hands signify again the guy is the false witness is saying you guys are apostates you're a bunch of idol worshiping knuckleheads <laughs> and it just revs them up then he says verse 58 and within 3 days I will build another made without hands okay now, that is a made without hands is a very unique term, phrase. It's only found in Scripture three times, okay? Come back to Daniel 2. And, it's, and the, 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 what makes it such a wonderful phrase, and again, very limited, is because of the connection to its use. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has his great dream, the big dream. Daniel comes in and interprets it, and basically Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, the dream, that's the times of the Gentiles. Israel's going to go into the fifth course of judgment. God's going to give you Israel, and, and the Gentiles are going to run Israel all the way out to the second coming. Okay, And the picture of the fifth course of judgment on Israel Here's how Israel will know how long it is, what, to look, what it's going to look like, what Gentile domination is going to be. And, the, and after they go through all of that, then the second coming of the Lord comes, and what's he do? He restores Israel. Okay? Now look at verse 44. The goal of prophecy, 244. And in the days of these kings, and again, that's the, the he sets the time element, he sets the... the uh, uh, the fifth course and the Gentile domination. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Now think about that. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you hear the kingdom of God. Well, if the God of heaven set up a kingdom, wouldn't you call it the kingdom of God? Yeah. Because why? Because God set it up. But then they say, then they'll use the kingdom of heaven. Well, wouldn't you call the, the same thing because the God of heaven set it up? Yeah. See, I mean, I know what the I know what the commentaries do. They start running all the, and I know what Schofields know do. They start, but when you just stop and think about it, what's the what's God gonna do? He's gonna set up a kingdom. That's why they'll say in Matthew six, "Thy kingdom come." Thy will be done on earth as it's where? In heaven. The goal is the earth. Okay? When Jesus Christ comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Why? Because the God of heaven's going to set up a kingdom. It's kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, interchangeable terminology. And really where that boils back down to, honestly, is in Deuteronomy 11 when it's, he says in that kingdom it will be as the days of heaven here on earth. And that's really what it is. Anyway, verse 44. Which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Okay? So there's the template of the goal. Here's the goal of prophecy. The God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. And how long is it going to run? Forever. Now, 244 sets very clear that the viewpoint of a pre-millennial kingdom is the proper viewpoint. You've got the post, the pre, you've got pre, post, and ah, amillennialist. Amillennialist says there's no millennial, all of it's just a bunch of spiritual stuff, and you just figure it out when you get there. By the way, so does the post. They really ultimate. 
but the premillennial. In other words, Jesus Christ literally will come back and establish the kingdom on earth. It's a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Very clear. Now watch verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Now notice that. The stone that's going to wipe out the nations is cut without hands. Then who made it? God made it. So that without hands is connected with the issue of God making it. It's just God's doing. Okay? Remember in 2 Corinthians 5? Look, look over there at 2 Corinthians 5. Just... It, it says it a little different here, but it's the idea, 5.1. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, a little different phrase. But who made that body? Who made our new body? God did. By the way, Mark 14.58, Daniel 2.45, Colossians 2.11, made without hands. And in Colossians 2.11, that's where we were Sunday about the operation of God in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And again, that's God's doing. So when you come back to Mark 14, when this guy says, hey, you guys, <laughs> the temple made with hands, you guys have made it in a bunch of idolatry, a den of thieves, then he says, made without hands, God, it's going to get replaced with what God's doing. And they just loved on the guy. You know, they just ranked it up. He said, what? Boom, you know, and they just come unglued all over him. They get the idea. They, understand, they know that they, they're the target of the Lord's ministry, earthly ministry. They know it. They've heard him. They've listened to him. He has openly said it. He's never hidden it behind. And yet, what happens? This guy in Mark 14. Now, again, the guy in Matthew 26, he doesn't say. He just, you know, he read the cue card. The guy in Mark 14 read into the cue card, put in. And their rebellion was against the purpose and plan that God had. And again, their deceit, all that it's going to, all this, all this, illegal trial, all of this activity is just revealing their corruptness and their treachery and, again, their desire to just go and kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Just kill him. So the record, by the way, they can't, they can't get the record straight, all right? They they're add to it. They, I mean, they're t they missed that he was talking about his body, by the way, through his death, burial, and resurrection, what's he going to do? He's going to put away the corruption, and then he's going to establish their kingdom. See? They are, they are destroying Israel. He's going to come and restore Israel back. And that just... And you see the religious mindset just explode. Now, Mark 14, verse 59 but neither so did their witnesses agree together. Uh, they just, it's a sham. Okay? Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? He didn't say a word. Over and over again, he doesn't say a word. In front of Pilate, no answer. He'll answer. He'll have a conversation with Pilate. So then the question is, is, well, okay, why didn't he, he was very, you know, why didn't he defend himself? Well, it's because of Isaiah 53. Run, run back there. Isaiah 53 in verse 7. Isaiah 53 in verse 7. Isaiah 53 in verse 7. So really, number one, 
why he didn't answer the question. The, the, number one is to fulfill prophecy. 53.7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, can't speak. So he opened not his mouth. But he does speak, by the way. Seven times on the cross he says something, but he only spoke seven times. So silence is is the cross and and all this is shrouded in silence. If you look at verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressions, and he bare the sin of many. Now we know today through the Apostle Paul, that's all, that's us too, and made intercession for the transgressors. See? He is being identified completely and totally with the transgressors. He doesn't answer. He's bearing our shame, ultimately. He's bearing their shame. And the only way for him to get to the cross is to be silent. Because if he offered a defense, it would have just drug it out. And he, the timing is critical here that it's going, see. By the way, the Lord, come back to John, um, John 8. The Lord spoke all the time. Look at John 8. In, in, in Luke 2, they are said they marveled at such gracious words that he spoke. John 7, the guy will say, never, no one's ever spoke like this before. Matthew 22 There's a give and take back and forth between him and them. And then they say, at the end of that passage, nobody ask him any more questions. Now, again, this is RJ's, okay? But why? So it wasn't that he couldn't answer it. It wasn't that he couldn't answer it and put them in their place. Look at John 8, verse 45. John 8, 45. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He could have answered. He he deserved to say, I'm innocent. But, and he could have said it for the record. He's in trial. Transcripts going. Boom. But over and over again, he says what? Not a word. But yet, what does Pilate say three times? He's innocent. Pilate's wife said, get rid of him. He's a just man. You know, you're you're messing with trouble here. See, Judas in Matthew 27 takes the money back and throws it down and says, this money is the, the blood of an innocent man. So the record is very clear without the Lord speaking that he's what? He's innocent. So, again, he's silent because he's going to the cross and he's willing to bear and to be numbered with the offenses and the shame of the transgressor. So there's really nothing to say. Come back to Mark 14. There's really nothing for him to try to bridge the gap of their, those that hated him and himself because what he's going to the cross. That's Again, we were... In our Roman study, in Romans 16, verse 27, the last verse, to God only wise be glory. The wisdom plan of God was to simply keep a secret, not tell anybody, and that, uh, but that also allowed another wisdom plan to come up, which was the adversaries. Romans 1, the wisdom of man is involved in that. And Satan uses man to go kill the Lord. And the Lord, the God sits back and says, I'll let them do the dirty work. And that's, so the silence here, his innocence is clear. But that religious system, they were intent on killing him. And if he'd have said, well, I'm innocent, blah, blah, I didn't say that. They would have just, eh, okay, whatever, you're still guilty. Because their intent was to kill him. So, 1461, but he held his peace and answered nothing. 
Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, that's an interesting thing here. Again, Mark is right to the point. So let's go look at Matthew 26. Because there's some things that aren't in Mark that you have to catch in Matthew, and then we'll go over to John 18. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered him and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Now, there's some added information that I adjure thee. He's putting Christ under oath. I want you to swear under oath, you tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus said unto him, thou hast said. See, so evidently there is a conversation going on here. Mark just has him no answering it, move to the next point. Now come over to John 18, because what you find out is that th there is a conversation happening here. Mark, again, boom, boom. But Christ is actually holding a conversation with the chief priest. And it's not as he didn't, didn't say anything. He could have. But it's more of we're at the point in that conversation where there's nothing more to say. John 18, 18. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples, now watch, and of his doctrine. All right? So now, think about Mark 14 real quick. When they ask him about the witness's account being accurate or not, okay, that's what they ask. The high, uh, Mark 14, 60, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? He didn't answer that. But when it came, John 18, 19, but when it came to his doctrine, he answers, he speaks up. You, you follow that? The difference, that's the difference here. When they made an accusation, he just simply demissed, I'm not even, I don't even, it isn't worthy of an answer. But when they begin to ask about his doctrine. Are you the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed One? Now what? You said it. See, he's now, why? Because that's the doctrine. Verse 20, then answered him, I spake openly to the world. See, I spake openly to the world. I didn't do anything behind hide, hidden clothes. You know, everybody, oh, you, if, you, if you follow Christ, you're part of the occult. If you follow Paul, you're part of the occult. None of these guys did anything behind closed doors, i.e. like an occult does, okay? I can remember the day when it was Catholics, Protestants, and everybody else was a cult. Because that's what it was. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all that, were a cult. Now what? Now we're all Christian. They're in Catholic. Catholics are Christian, Protestants, and the occult. Are, you know, it's crazy. Say, anyway, that... Jesus said, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. You see, you want to know what I said, you go talk to the people out there because they heard me, they'll tell you. Now watch verse 22. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest, so don't you remember who you're talking to? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? You see, he's not intimidated by this situation. All right? So when he answers, go back to Mark 14, the answering in the conversation is concerning doctrine. When it's just the, 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 the accusation, 
He doesn't answer that. Verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Okay, verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. See how he answers that? Because that's the doctrine. But keep reading. And, because he's going to add to it, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He just added. So he is literally, he's sitting there, he's going to the cross, he knows he's going to suffer, he knows what's in the cup, the, the wrath of God, he knows he's going to go through that, and yet what's he doing? He's looking beyond the cross at the joy that was set before him, the glory. Hebrews 12. That's where he, so on his mind, I'm already through the cross. I'm over here now sitting ready to come back <laughs> and restore you guys. And oh, by the way, you're going to see me, see? Then the high priest rent. By the way, when he says there, and, and Jesus said, I am. the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of Man. I'm the one. Again, that goes back to Daniel 7, Psalms 2, Psalms 110. He says, I'm the one who is the hope of Israel. I am He. And they just ratcheted up. Verse 63, Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? He just did something that Leviticus 21 verse 10 tells the high priest never to do, which is rent their clothes. Because the high priest was never to do what the heathen do. Because what do the heathen do? Rent their clothes. And yet that apostate religious system has him rendering, rendering his clothes. So the first action that he does, again, okay, Made with hands, idolatry, true. They don't care anything about God's word. So what are they doing? They're after him. And again, what we're seeing here is religion on display. If you, if you go over there to Galatians 6, we don't have the time, the hour's up. But I want to finish. We've got three verses to go. You go to Galatians 6, verse 12 and 13, and Paul talks about religion and the fair show in the flesh. And that's what they're doing. You see, religion does nothing but is religion is simply designed to fulfill the lust of your flesh. And that's what these guys are doing. 63, then the high priest rent his clothes and said unto them, Why need we any further? No more witnesses. And again, we've decided guilty. It's all done. Verse 64. Ye have heard the blaspheme. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Verse 65, And some began to spit on him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Now, come back to Isaiah 50, because this is what he's, what he's doing. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. By the way, this is the only verse in Scripture that you see where they're, where, that they're plucking the, the beard and all that. No other place. It's like Psalms 22 about the feet being pierced. That's the only place. Isaiah 50 verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame. And spitting, and that is exactly what they're doing in Mark 16. I'm sorry, 14:65. This wasn't. Go back there to Mark 16. I'm sorry, Mark 14. This wasn't an ignorant mob. Okay, they knew what they were. These are the leaders of the nation, and they're the ones now that are going to go out, and and now they're going to convince the nation. To cry, crucify, crucify, crucify. Okay? And they just are just boom. Why? Because he's nailed them. Okay? Made with hands is going to get replaced with made without hands. 
what God's doing. You guys are a bunch of apostate, idolatrous, you're destroying this, the nation, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to restore it and I'm going to set it up what God has always planned. And that they just blow up all over him. Now, what's going to happen, verse 66, is we'll move to Pilate and then 15.1 and straightway in the morning the chief priest held a uh, consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. He should have been stoned, but they, didn't they weren't on legal ground here. It's a sham trial, so now they got to get Rome involved, and they go wake Pilate up, and Pilate's a grumpy grump when he gets woke up, and we'll see all that moving forward, okay? It's an interesting thing here and how this all, verse 64, ye have heard the blaspheme. What think ye? <laughs> He's blasphemed. You guys, we got a minute. Look at Luke 22. Look at Luke 22. Luke 22. And watch verse 63. It's just interesting how your scripture protects our Savior. And it and reveals the religious mindset. Luke twenty two sixty three. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasph many other things blaspheme blasphemously spake. Now watch they against him. The religious leader says he's a blasphemer. The Word of God says, no, they blasphemed him. See that? They're the ones committing the blasphemy. Come over to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 65. Matthew 26, 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. With what further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blaspheme. There are 26 words in that verse. 26 is 2 times 13. 13 is the number of rebellion, the number of the Gentiles. But 65 is 5 times 13. 5 is the number of death, and yet what are they doing? It's just a wonderful thing that in the English language how it reflects... And I know everybody goes, oh, numerology, blah, blah, blah. It's not numerology. It's God's word. That's how it is in English. Now, it'll work that way, by the way, in other languages, maybe not in this verse, but in other verses. But the whole of it here is protecting who? Our Savior. He didn't commit the blasphemy. They did. So there's, all of the, there's any of that. Anyway, just something to look at, okay? Take up the last two minutes so it's 10 after. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to study it, to read it, to look into it, to digest the things that are happening to our Savior in, in this very important moment where he is about to become the Passover lamb. In your name we pray. Amen.